0: The week of March 18th, I will be hosting a free five-day hyperthyroid healing diet challenge. This is the first time I'll be doing this challenge in over two years. And whether you have Graves' disease, toxic multinodular goiter, or a different hyperthyroid condition, this challenge can benefit you. To register for the free hyperthyroid healing diet challenge, visit hyperthyroidhealing.com. Hey, this is Dr. Eric. And in this Q&A episode, I will be chatting with Sally K. Norden about creating a lower oxalate smoothie. This is actually a clip from a future episode where I will be chatting with Sally about her excellent book, Toxic Superfoods. I'm a big smoothie person, but one of the concerns with smoothies is that some of the ingredients added can be high in oxalates. And if you're new to oxalates, I recently created a basic Q&A episode on oxalates, which you can check out by visiting savemythour.com forward slash oxalates. I will say here that spinach is one of the highest oxalate foods. And in the past, I was loading my smoothies with spinach. But after doing a urinary oxalate test and seeing that I had high oxalates, I started replacing the spinach with other green leafy vegetables that are not as high in oxalates. But there are still some ingredients I've been adding that are higher in oxalates, and Sally and I will be discussing some of these ingredients. And even if you're not a smoothie person, I think you'll find this to be interesting, as you still might be eating some of these higher oxalate foods on a regular basis. Anyway, here is part of my interview with Sally K. Norden, with the rest to follow in a future episode. Let's talk more about smoothies, because I admitted to you before we started chatting that I'm a smoothie person. And I've been a smoothie person for quite a while. And so in 2016, when I did a urinary oxalate test, which which want to talk about that a little bit later too, but that came back positive. At that point, I was adding a lot of spinach to my smoothies. And so I don't know if we could put together a a low oxalate smoothie, but for those who might not be willing to give up their smoothies, because I'll be honest, I don't know if I'm willing to give up my smoothie at, at this point. So If maybe we could try to construct one that's not maybe super low, but not crazy, crazy high. So one thing I've been doing, replacing the spinach, and this was even before reading your book, is adding the lettuces, like green leaf lettuce, red leaf lettuce, romaine lettuce. And those seem to be On the lower side, when it comes to oxalates, correct?
1: They're very low in oxalate, very, very low. I mean, you'd have to eat a heck of a lot of lettuce to get too much oxalates. You can safely concentrate lettuce and not have too much oxalate. It doesn't necessarily mean that everyone can tolerate lettuce. If they've got an overactive immune system in their gut, they could be developing food sensitivities. And I think there's enough other unknown chemicals in plants that just because it's low oxalate doesn't mean it'll work for you. And I'd just like to also preface this discussion about the smoothie with the fact that you yourself are really only starting to have this message soak in and its meaning and what its implications are. I have to change my behavior. It's brand new for you. It's just only been the last few months that you're learning about oxalate. You should all be patient with yourselves. Give yourself a year to rewrite how you eat and to relearn how you eat and make it normal. I mean, if you're trying to like, completely upheave your entire life at one time you're just adding stress to your life and the recovery from too much in your body is going to take 10 years anyway so you don't have to rush <laughs> so so yes that's a good start like okay stop buying spinach that's a brilliant place to begin fabulous using lettuce instead perfect and that's pretty easy you go to the same place to get spinach versus lettuce And just lettuce last longer. It keeps better in the fridge. It actually is more versatile and a lot safer. So that's a great place to start. I do have an oxalate, a low oxalate smoothie recipe on my website. I made that, oh my gosh, seven years ago, maybe. I think it's got yogurt in it, but romaine lettuce, pineapple, and lime juice is the major flavor ingredients. And I think with a smoothie, you want to, if you can do dairy products, you want to use kefir and yogurt and milk and half and half and heavy cream and things like that. And even maybe egg yolks, egg yolks are really good for the liver, the brain, the bile. It's really nice if you can do egg yolks. So that's a possibility, like put a little protein in there would be nice if you tolerate those things. But if not, you can use coconut milk and you can use coconut yogurt. And then low oxalate foods there's many low oxalate foods out there especially if you like green stuff if you like a kind of a bitter green then arugula watercress all of those other greens are low but again i think a lot of these greens are best like the cabbage family the kale stuff i better cooked not raw so if you want to use cooked greens and put them in your smoothies people do literally do that Papaya is really interesting because it tends to gel up. It has this like sticky gummy thing going on. I don't know quite how it does this, but you can make a nice thick smoothie with papaya. If you like thickness and you're having trouble making it thick, you can use a tiny amount of flax seed that's all ground up or a tiny bit of psyllium husk. Those things will give a kind of a binding, thickening effect to the smoothie. Grapes and grape juice... Melons are all low in oxalate. The whole cubit family. Cucumbers are delicious, by the way, in smoothies and juicing. And so, cucumber is a great base to start with as well.
0: Celery is high, right? Because I've been adding celery, and then a lot of people are making celery juice these days. Yeah, yeah. The Let us high.
1: Celery is high, but you know, if you're using a small amount, like a half a stick or even one whole stalk of celery, you could probably get away with it. Especially in early, you don't need to go to zero oxalate in the beginning, especially. In fact, you're better off keeping some of these foods around and you can use small amounts of some of these high-oxalate foods. So celery would be an example of a high-oxalate food that you could use in culinary amounts, but you wouldn't want to eat an entire head of celery in one juice or one smoothie, which is what's often recommended. That's toxic. That's a dose problem. I mean, your grandmother's rolling her eyes that you're eating a whole head of celery in one meal. (laughs) It's like, what are you doing? That's not food. But yeah, you can use a little celery in there. Uh, You know, as you get going on this, eventually you may find you don't want to do that anymore. But you can literally, some of these high oxalate foods, you can use bits of it here and there. It becomes flavor enhancers instead of entrees.
0: How about collard greens? Because I add collard greens sometimes to my smoothie.
1: Yeah, that's one of the cabbage family vegetables along with kale and mustard greens. And these are all in the cabbage family. And they're all low in oxalate for the most part. I think collards are a little higher than more like a kale in terms of oxalate content, which is about three times higher than lettuce, but lettuce is so little, it's still not that much. But again, I think if you're overdoing raw cabbage family vegetables, eventually it is also hard on the gut. They're a little hard to digest. There's some people who think the raw enzymes in cabbage family is hard on the thyroid gland as well. So it's not unusual to hear if you're going to eat cabbage family vegetables and you have a thyroid problem, cook them. You could steam or blanch them and then add them to a smoothie, no problem, if you like the flavor. Hopefully you're eating this because culinarily you're finding this a pleasure, and not because you think you need to or because you forgot how to chew.
0: And broccoli? So like, how about steaming broccoli and then cooling it down and putting in a smoothie? Or is that considered higher in oxalates?
1: It's pretty good if you boil it. Is Boiling is better with broccoli, but you need to boil it a good solid three minutes. It gets kind of mushy, which is perfect for a smoothie. So it turns into like baby food when you boil broccoli. That's a good thing to do. Throw out the water, don't put the water in the smoothie and that that's fine. Yep. That's a good idea if you like it. I mean. This is a bigger stretch for people. So I take an entire chapter talking about how we're in love with plants and we're trusting them and we think we've got to have them and we're using them as some kind of insurance policy that we're going to be healthy if we get enough vegetables. And sadly, even though we are saying this to ourselves, it doesn't really hold up. We're over trusting the plants. And if you don't super love them, then don't make yourself eat them. Now, if you love, love, love them, then this is a great opportunity to figure out how to curate which vegetables are really safer to eat. And dose them in reasonable quantities. But the boiling is beneficial, not just because of the oxalate, but you're breaking down those cell walls enough that it probably improves nutrient availability in all vegetables. You can get more of the minerals and nutrients in them into your body because now you've broken down the cell walls and the other barriers that make it hard for you to digest them. But still, there are other anti-nutrient effects of the polyphenols and these compounds in the plants, they actually interrupt the enzymes that get the protein out of your foods and the fat and the carbohydrates. Those those basic enzymes are inhibited by polyphenols. So again, you can overdo the plants. So yeah, use them because you love them, not because you must have them. And, And please don't force your kids to eat green vegetables if they're not willing to eat it. I don't think it's worth the fight. And then based
0: on what you just said, if someone wanted to add a protein powder, would something like hydrolyzed beef be a better option compared to like a vegan protein powder, like a pea
1: protein or for sure, for sure. I think the the amino acid profile of animal proteins is much more suited to what we need because we're animals too. So we need it in the same profile that's in the flesh of animal foods. And so all the dairy foods are better protein powder types and meat protein powders, meat-based protein powders are better fit. They're also much lower in lead and other contaminants and even glyphosate and some of these other chemicals that are prone to be on these protein powders. Chickpeas, for example, concentrate glyphosate. So again, with the plant foods, it's particularly important to be going organic and be selective. But I think from a protein powder standpoint, if you can find a nice beef or something like that, but not necessarily the collagen.
0: I was just about to bring that up. (laughs)
1: Yeah, because the collagen is just a few of the amino acids, not a full gamut of amino acids that you need to build bones and muscles, which is the best use for protein is to use it to tell your body, hey, let's get some muscle going. Let's make some bones. The collagen is hydroxyproline and glycine and things. And hydroxyproline is prone to being converted to oxalate in the liver. So by pushing more than, say, two and a half teaspoons of gelatin or collagen powder, you're upping the amount of oxalate that forms inside the body as well. So you, by over pushing the collagen. So don't be dumping collagen into everything you make. It's not helping anything.
0: Okay. That's good to know. And then, and then berries. So people want to stay away from the blackberries, I believe the raspberries, but blueberries and cranberries. are.
1: are Yeah. Cranberries are very low, very low in oxalate versatile and blueberries are low in oxalate and strawberries we don't really know they seem to be all over the map in terms of the testing there's lots of that's so we didn't talk about that but plants vary you know one species to another one field to another one season to another one set of mold attacking to another the plants are making oxalic acid and oxalate crystals in response to their growing conditions and their genetic propensities. and we grow different genetic forms of strawberries in different parts of the country in different times of the year and it's there's a lot of mold pressure on a strawberry because they're a prostate plant that lays on the ground in this muddy spring and there's mold everywhere. They use oxalic acid plants, often have the crystals and the acid in their leaves because they can convert oxalic acid into hydrogen peroxide, which helps them beat off the molds. So I think the more humid it is, we see this in tomatoes. When they, they're grown in high calcium soils and high humid summer, they make so much oxalate, they get crystals of oxalate in their shoulders and that causes tissue damage in a tomato and the tomato is not commercially viable. It looks bad and spoils quickly. So it's not even good for the plant to have to make too much oxalate.
0: Mm. And then one more question regarding smoothie ingredients. You mentioned chia seeds, hemp seeds as being high, but flax seed, that is okay. Just like if someone wants to grind their own flax seeds, And add like a tablespoon to a smoothie.
1: flax is very low in oxalate. It's quite low in oxalate. It's one of the lowest oxalate seeds along with pumpkin seeds. Pumpkin seeds are low in oxalate and you can buy sprouted pumpkin seed butter. It's more expensive than some of the other seeds but you can do things. You probably make your own nut milk with pumpkin seeds too. So they're Low in oxalate, if they're not giving you gut damage, again, they're a seed. So some people, if they've really got inflamed guts, even a pumpkin seed that's low in oxalate or a flaxseed can be irritating. Certainly psyllium can be irritating. So they're low in oxalate, which generally is good for most of us. Not everything works for every person. So I just want to keep reminding people, you have to customize what you eat according to your health and your tolerance.
0: Yeah, always listen to your body. So that's
1: definitely good advice.
0: So hopefully you enjoyed our chat about smoothies. And once again, the full episode with Sally will be released soon. And so stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, make sure you check out Sally's book on toxic superfoods and to visit Sally's website at sallyknorden.com.
1: Thank you for listening to the Save My Thyroid podcast. If you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe to stay up to date on the latest thyroid health-related topics. And to get your free thyroid and immune health restoration action points checklist, visit SaveMyThyroidChecklist.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.
0: I'm super excited to announce the upcoming release of my third thyroid-related book and the second one I've written on hyperthyroidism. It will be called the Hyperthyroid Healing Diet, and it will be released on Monday, March 11th. Although there is a chapter that focuses on diet in my book, Natural Treatment Solutions for Hyperthyroidism and Graves' Disease, the Hyperthyroid Healing Diet will go into much greater detail, as it will be the most comprehensive book related to diet and hyperthyroidism. There will be a significant discount for those who purchase the book for the first week after its release, and those who purchase the book will also get access to the resources, which will include dozens of recipes, checklists, along with a few bonus chapters not included in the book. And those who join my book support team will receive some other cool perks. If you'd like to join my Hyperthyroid Healing Diet book support team, you can visit SaveMyThyroid.com forward slash book support.